0: Our Bible passage for this morning is from Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16, Philippians chapter 3, and you can find it on page 1829. Pressing on toward the goal. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. To what we have already attained. Thus far, the reading. Let's
1: pray together and ask the Lord to help us as we meditate on His Word. Holy Father, Your words are ancient, they are also living and active, and always fresh, always relevant. And so I pray now, as we turn our minds and hearts to the feast that you spread before us in your word, that we would eat well, that you would speak directly to us. We believe that your word is powerful and has the power to instruct, edify, encourage, exhort, and so we pray that you would do your work in us this morning through the power of your word, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, I am grateful and honored to be back here with you again. It doesn't seem like that long that I was here. I looked at my calendar. I was here with you back in April. I don't know about you, but I want you to know that from that Sunday, five months ago until today, I have not lived a perfect life. <laughs> I brought my wife along with me to confirm that in case you doubt it. You can just ask her. There have been times, from that time to this time, when I have failed as a disciple of Jesus Christ. There have been times when I have not perfectly loved the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. There have been times when I have not loved my neighbor as myself. In fact, in all of the various circumstances that I have faced just over this past week, I have not perfectly denied myself, taken up my cross, and followed Jesus. But I can tell you this, and I say it with all sincerity, I earnestly desire that I would do all of those things all of the time. I hate my sin. I hate it. And I desire that I would never sin again from this moment forward. But I just don't seem to be able to pull that off, no matter how good my resolutions are. I'm not perfect. In my experience, that is one of the great frustrations of the Christian life. I want to be holy. I want to always, always do what is right and never do what is wrong. I want to love others as I love myself. I want to love others as Jesus has loved us. I really do. I really want my life to look and smell like the life of my Savior, Jesus Christ. But I keep falling short of that standard. And so what do we do in a situation like that? I think the first thing to do is to remind ourselves of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which reminds us that we are not saved by the things that we do or don't do. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have repented of your sins and called on the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, then your sins are forgiven, and you're a child of God, and you have eternal life. It's always good. Whenever we are confronted with our own failures, it's always good to remind ourselves that we don't save ourselves by our good works, and we don't lose our salvation by our failures. Okay, but what then? Does it not matter How we live, does it not matter if we sin since our sins are already forgiven? It's a question raised in Romans 6. if, If all of our sins are covered, if all of our sins are paid for, then what does it matter what we do? Does that just give us permission to keep on sinning? And the answer is no, it does not. In fact, the answer Paul gives in Romans 6 is by no means. No way, don't even think of it. Sin grieves God. God hates sin. And you and I should hate it too. And even though we'll never be perfect until we go home to be in the presence of the Lord, we still need to keep fighting the fight of faith while we're here on earth. We still need to keep growing in our godliness while we're here on earth. We still need to keep growing in our spiritual maturity, no matter how spiritually mature you are. We need to keep growing. To keep pressing on, I believe the words of Paul in Philippians 3 can help us with this as we meditate on these words this morning. Paul understood the the Christian life uh, as a battle. He understood that even after our sins are forgiven, even after we're a new creation in Jesus Christ, sin still tempts us. Our sinful nature still sticks around. Paul says, even Paul says, even though he's not, he is saved, but he's not perfect. Verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at the goal. So what does Paul do? He hasn't arrived at the goal yet. He hasn't attained the goal yet. So what does he do? He presses on. That's what he says. I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. A a slightly more literal translation of those words would read, I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Think about that. I press on. I, I am inspired and encouraged and empowered and motivated to keep pressing on to make these things my own. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. If you have faith in Christ, if you're walking with Christ, then not only are your sins forgiven, but Jesus has made you his own. That's an amazing thing. He's purchased you with his blood, and you do not belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus. So, press on and keep fighting the fight of faith. Press on and keep getting to know him better, just like we heard in the children's message. That reminds me of a story. It's a fairly well-known story. Maybe you've heard it. It goes like this. There was a little boy, and he spent many long hours in his basement making a little sailboat out of wood. He carved it out of wood. He put a little sail on it. He was very proud of it. He loved it. He took his sailboat out on the water. It floated. It worked beautifully. He was sailing it on the water, and all of a sudden, a big gust of wind came along and carried the boat downstream, and he lost it. Sometime later, the boy is in town. He's in a second-hand shop, he sees the boat. His boat that he spent so long making, he sees it on the shelf. It's for sale. He points at his boat and he says to the man behind the counter, he says, that's my boat. I made that boat with my own hands. And the owner says, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I, I can't just give away all my stuff to anyone who comes in here and says that they made it. So the boy goes out. He gets a job. He works hard. He saves his money. Finally, he has enough money. He goes back to the store. The boat is still there. He slams his money on the counter. He says, I want that boat. So he buys the boat. The man gives it to him. As he's walking out of the store, he looks at the boat. He says, I made you and I bought you. So now you're doubly mine. I made you and I bought you. And so now you're doubly mine. That's the same thing with us. Those of us who have been washed in the blood of Christ by faith. Christ made us. He made all of us. He made us. We belong to Him. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't make ourselves. He made us. But we sinned and we ran away, we ran away from Him. Right? Because of our sin, we put a great distance between us and Him. But He came after us. And He found us. And He bought us with His blood. He made us. And he bought us, and now we're doubly his. It's good to be reminded of that. That helps us. Remembering that we belong not to ourselves, but to Jesus, helps us to die to our sins, to die to our sinful nature, to die to selfishness, and to live for Christ. He made us and he bought us. We're his. Last year, about this time last year, the school year was about to begin again, And um, I was asked if we could do a a service and have the kids bring in their backpacks, and I could bless the backpacks before the kids go back to school. And uh, I just, I didn't, maybe this is just me, but I didn't really feel personally comfortable blessing backpacks. And so uh, what I did do is uh, I had these little tags printed up. You won't be able to see it from your seat, but this little tag here, and and it hooks right onto the backpack, It says very simply, I belong to Jesus. We printed up one tag for each of the kids, and when they came in, we put these tags on their backpacks as a little reminder throughout the school day that they could remember, even as little children, they don't belong to themselves, they belong to Jesus. It's good for us to be reminded about that throughout the day. In fact, I kept one for myself so that I could remind myself That I don't belong to myself, but I belong to Jesus. That fact, the fact that Christ has purchased me and has taken hold of me, that enables me to press on in my pursuit to know Him better and better and to become more and more like Him. Okay, but how? How does that happen? How do we press on? How do we fight the fight of faith? Well, this is what Paul says. Paul answers that question. It's amazing, it's like we're sitting down having coffee with Paul, we get to ask him, okay, how does this work? And he says, he says this, verse 13, one thing I do, one thing I do, okay, I'm all ears, Paul, what is it, tell me. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul, I thought you said one thing. (laughs) That sounded an awful lot like three things. Okay, well, it's one thing, I press on, that's the one thing he does, but that takes, that has three steps to it. I press on, and the way that I press on is by forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, and keeping my eyes focused on the ultimate goal. That's what Paul does. That's the secret. And so I just want to talk briefly about each of those three points so that we can learn from Paul So first, forgetting what lies behind. Paul is purposefully choosing. This is a choice. He's choosing to forget what lies behind. It's it's not just that he's forgetful, but he's deciding to forget what lies behind. So what lies behind for Paul? We know a little bit about his life. Paul, what lies behind for him, at this point, writing Philippians, some really, really good things. He's a very impressive man in some ways. And some really, really bad things. He had done some bad things. On the one hand, Paul tells us that concerning the law, he was blameless. He was like a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the top guy. And when it came to law following, he was blameless. He nailed it. That's pretty good. I can see how Paul might be tempted to look back on that and kind of smile. Kind of feel good about himself. Hey, you know what? I... I'm pretty righteous. My actions have been blameless concerning the law. I've been a law keeper my whole life. That should at least get me some credit with God, right? I mean, that should at least get me on God's good side. Look around. Nobody else is blameless concerning the law, but I've been keeping it my whole life. That's not at all what Paul says. That's not at all his posture. He looks back at the best best things he's done in his life. He looks back on a life of law-keeping, and he says, you know what, as far as I'm concerned, that's garbage. That's garbage. I I, I, I just want to forget that. Maybe some people here in this room have done some good things in the past. And maybe some of us here are tempted to think that, well, I don't know, if I do enough good things, maybe that will override the bad things that I've done. That's not how the gospel works. God's not impressed with our good deeds. You can't can't earn God's grace by your good deeds. We receive God's grace not by the things we do, but through faith in the Son of God. On the other hand, Paul also, he was an extreme person. He also had some really, really bad things in his past. Paul was a persecutor of the church. That means Paul went into houses and dragged men and women out of their homes and threw them in prison and approved of their execution. Paul was a bad guy. What he did was bad. And it would have been very tempting for Paul to spend the rest of his days looking back on that with regret and saying, I I can't believe I did that. I, I am so hopeless. I'm so bad. How could God ever forgive me for having done that? And how would God possibly ever use me after having done that for his purposes or for his kingdom? And many of us, I think, are tempted to do the same thing. Maybe some of us have done some bad things in our past. In fact, I know that we all have in different ways. Maybe you've got some sins in your past that you just, you can't get over. You keep beating yourself up about it. You keep thinking, how, how could God forgive that? Right here in this verse, Paul reminds us that God's grace is greater than our sins. That there's more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. So how dare we turn to God and we tell him that Christ's sacrifice wasn't, just wasn't enough to pay for my sins. My sins are bigger than that. If Jesus says that it is finished, then it is finished. And it does not honor God for us to doubt the power of his forgiveness. So if you've got sins in your past, which we all do, then repent of them and turn from them. Bring them to the cross. Lay them at the cross. The Lord will forgive them and then you can press on. You don't need to live in the past if your sins are forgiven. And so in that sense, we forget what lies behind. It's not that we have amnesia. It's not that we literally can't remember what's happened in the past. But we don't allow the things of the past, both the good things and the bad things that we've done, to distract us from what God wants to do in our life today. Okay, second, not only does Paul say, I forget what lies behind, but he says, I also strain forward to what lies ahead. He doesn't just forget the past and stand still. He forgets the past and strains forward. This is not a passive pursuit of God. This is, a, this is an active straining forward to what lies ahead. Keep growing. Don't just stand still. Keep pursuing the Lord. Strain forward. It, it, he's describing, he's using words that, that describe an athlete. How do you get good at a sport? Some people are born with natural ability, but even people who have natural ability, how do they get good at their sport? They practice. They train. They work hard at it. They do the same drill over and over and over again. They take the same shot 500 times a day. They lift the weights. They eat right. That's how you become a good athlete. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes hard work over a long period of time. And Paul is telling us, you and I, as disciples of Christ, that we need to pursue the Lord like that, straining forward to what lies ahead. So is anything, do you have anything in your life, I'm just asking you to take a little inventory now, do you have anything in your life that's getting in the way of your walk with the Lord, that's getting in the way of your growth in godliness, that's preventing you from straining forward and pursuing the Lord. It reminds me of another story that I heard. I, I heard Ravi Zacharias tell this story, and I know there are some people here who listen to him. He was uh, th- the story goes like this: There was once a, a very poor, poor village. It was full of rundown and, and decrepit houses, really more shacks than houses. And one day, a very wealthy man came to town, and he spoke to one of the owners of one of the houses. And he said, okay, here's what I propose. I want to buy your house from you. And when I buy it, when I own it, then I'm going to tear it down. And in its place, I'm going to build a beautiful brand new house. And then I want for you to live in that new house. Well, of course, the owner didn't refuse that offer. And sure enough, the wealthy man did what he said he would do. He tore down the old shack. He built a beautiful new home. And then the man and his family lived in the new home. And then the wealthy man just moved down one house and did the same thing for the next resident in the village. And he kept going, person after person, family after family, buying the old shacks, tearing them down, building new beautiful ones, and these families could live in the new homes. Finally, after going through the whole village, he comes to one obstinate man who refuses. He says, no, 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 you can't buy it. It's not for sale. I like my dirty little hut. I like it, and I, and I don't want you fixing it up. So, the wealthy man bought and fixed up all the houses in the village except that one. Eventually, a visitor comes to the village. The wealthy man is showing this visitor around, showing him all that he's done, all the improvements he's made, how happy everyone is. And then, in the middle of the tour, the obnoxious man, who won't sell his hut, he comes up. He interrupts. He says to the visitor, Hey, is he telling you that he owns the whole village? Because it's not true. He doesn't own the whole village. I still own my dirty little hut, and I'm never going to sell it. Some of us, our lives are like that. The Lord has come in. He has purchased our life with His blood. We belong to Him. He owns us. He has not only just purchased us, but He's He's cleaned it up. He's renovated. He's, He's made it beautiful. He's filled us with His Holy Spirit. But maybe, maybe there's one area in your life, or in my life, that we've kept to ourselves, right? That the one area that, that we don't want sanctified. That we've said, oh God, I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're at work with me, but hands off that part of my life. That part, I keep for myself. Part of straining forward means that we are willing to lay everything, every aspect of our lives on the altar. Lay it down and allow the Lord to heal us of our sinful patterns. I'm not talking about healing yourself. I'm not talking about fixing yourself. I'm talking about being willing to entrust our whole lives to God and let Him fix us by the power of His Spirit. And if there's something holding you back from that, let me encourage you, just lay it on the altar and let the Lord heal you. Okay, so we forget what lies behind. We strain forward to what lies ahead. And third and last, we keep our eyes on the goal. Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So what is the goal? Where are we heading? What is Paul pressing on towards? What is he looking at? The goal, the place where we're heading, is heaven. What does that mean? Well, we don't know a lot about what it means, but we get enough of a picture in the Bible to know that heaven is a place where we are in the presence of Christ. We are in the presence of God, and we are removed from the presence of sin. Heaven is a place where God is there and sin is not. And we will worship Him forever with no pain, no sadness, no mourning, no crying, just worshiping the one true God in His presence forever. Paul tells us that in order to press on during our journey on earth, we need to keep our eyes focused on on where we're heading, on the destination. One day, you and I will cross the river. And one day, you and I will receive glorified resurrection bodies that will never get sick that will never wear out, that will never sin. And we will be in the presence of our Lord and Savior forever. And when that prize is clearly in your sights, then the trials and the temptations of this world, all of a sudden they, just, they seem less important by comparison. They seem more endurable by comparison. They lose their grip on us. Just like turning the volume down on those temptations or on those discouragements. It's a little bit, just in a small way. It's like if you're having a bad day, and it's just not going well. You, it's a bad day, but you know you got something good coming at the end of the day. Right? If I'm having a bad day, bad meetings, bad interactions, flat tire, all, you know all the things that make a bad day, but I know I have a date with my wife that night, Knowing that that's coming, thinking about it, looking forward to it, helps get me through the day. That's just a very tiny, tiny example of how this works. When I am faced with disappointment, with discouragement, with heartbreak, here in this life, one of the things that enables me not to give in, but to press on, is knowing that all of this is headed somewhere. This is not just random this is not just one event following another event randomly. This is all moving towards something, an ultimate destination, a goal. One day, God will take us home. It's true. One day, God will take us home. And this life, when you look at the big picture of that, this life is, is, is hardly more than an eye blink. one, One missionary said it like this, Amy Carmichael, missionary to India. She said, we have all of eternity to celebrate our victories and only a few short hours before sunset in which to win them. One day Christ will come, he'll take us home, we'll be with him forever in a perfect place. So press on today, knowing that that day is coming. I think it was Martin Luther that said, I only have two days on my calendar, today and that day. And I love the fact, as I wrap up here, Paul just never seems to miss the opportunity to get our attention off ourselves, off our own works, and onto God. Right? This is not a, oh, let's roll up our sleeves and get busy. This is not kind of a self-help program. This is God at work in you. And so at the end of our text, Paul reminds us that the heavenward call is a call that comes from God and it is made effective in Christ Jesus. Lest any of us think that we're traveling along the path of discipleship and pressing on and straining every muscle, that somehow we're climbing our own way up to heaven. We're not. We're not. God's the one who called us. God's the one who's holding us. God's the one who owns us. And God is the one who will bring us home. And while we're here, while we're here now, we press on to take hold of that for which Jesus has taken hold of us. We press on by forgetting what lies behind, by straining forward to what lies ahead, and by keeping our eyes fixed on the goal. Amen. Let's respond with song.